Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneider-Weiler, and for this episode, I spoke with Manchester United Academy Manager Nick Cox. We talked about the club's youth philosophy, how they measure success, and how they've dealt with the coronavirus pandemic. So what has the last couple months been like for you? What have you been doing at the Academy? Wow, it's been a really strange period of time, obviously, as it has been for for everybody, I guess. I guess in the space of three months, the focus has shifted slightly, but initially it was crisis management. How do we deal with this? No one, we're stepping into the unknown. Um, How do we make sure people are safe? How do we make sure that everyone is healthy? Got to make some big decisions. Got lots of foreign players. Do we need to get them home? When do we shut down our training centre? Obviously, at the beginning, it was all a bit ambiguous as to what people should and shouldn't be doing. When do we stop training? How long do we persevere for? And then it was a case of, okay, we've made some big decisions. Now, how do we reach out to our staff and our players to make sure that they are looked after over this difficult period of time? And now I think we're moving into uh, the next phase, which is, okay, we found some strange routines in this abnormal period of time and the abnormal period of time has become normal. So now how do we turn our mind to the future and what things may look like when we return and when we when we might resume? So it's been a challenging period of time, an interesting period of time and strangely quite a rewarding one. I'm incredibly proud of the way that our staff and our players have dealt with the situation and I think that we will look back on this and reflect with some kind of real positive stories as well as obviously the the sad stuff that's going on and the difficult things that people are facing I think that we are going to be really proud of the way that we've we've dealt with everything. I mean obviously you're the academy manager but a lot of your responsibilities didn't really come down to coaching but you know as a manager and just as a as a human. Yeah so I guess my general day-to-day role is very much one about leading people, organising groups of folk towards a common goal, not so much being on the pitch coaching. That was my life a long while ago, but I guess as my roles have changed and I've moved between various different clubs, I've become more of a, a leader than a than an actual kind of practitioner on the pitch. But definitely in the in the last few weeks, it's been about leading people into the unknown, trying to put systems in place that are going to help us to weather a storm, trying to make sure people are safe, trying to make sure people are are well and I think that was uh, an early decision that we made as as a group of staff was that people's well-being their physical health their mental health needed to be put at the top of the list when we were making any decisions and football development maybe needed to take a back step in the initial phases of of trying to plan Um, obviously football development we haven't ignored it completely and depending on the age of the player that we're talking about it has a, a, a different level of importance but for everybody we're associated with it's been about their their well-being has been the number one number one focus so how did you try to develop the person while this pandemic was happening what type of activities did you put out there for the kids and uh, you know what were they doing so we just went with a really simple approach of putting two weekly challenges out to the boys. They were optional and they were reasonably ambiguous. There was no correct answer to the challenges we were putting out there. It was, come on kids, why don't you interpret the challenge? And if you want to share it with us, you can. And if you don't want to share it with us, you don't have to use this as you see fit. If this works for you, great. If you've got the time to dedicate to, to these challenges, then do so. But if you don't, don't feel guilty, don't feel the pressure. What that meant was that we kind of put the onus onto the kids to decide what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, how much they wanted to do of it, 
and then use their own imagination and creativity to decide how they wanted to solve the challenge or the problem that we'd sent their way. And I think what we got was stuff submitted to us that far outreached anything that uh, an adult brain or a coach's brain could have imagined. If we decided what the answer was to each of these challenges, we would have stifled the players. Um, But because we left it open-ended, ambiguous, optional, um, the kids' creativity meant that what they produced and what they chose to send to us was off the scale. And we've been absolutely blown over by the, the quality and the creativity of the work that's been sent our way. Some of the work we did was football-based, so practical football challenges, skills in the garden, all the sorts of stuff people will have seen circulating on social media to keep the kids fit, healthy, physically active. But a lot of it was above and beyond just football. It was making cakes, preparing meals, writing poems, submitting pieces of written work, writing about their favourite academy moment of all time designing quizzes, ringing up a friend, writing a letter to their grandparents, that type of stuff. And we have had an absolutely brilliant experience as a group of staff in kind of sifting through the thousands and thousands of submissions that have been sent our way. So that was, in essence, the approach that we took. So do you anticipate kind of leaning into that more with kids, you know, trying to expose them to a well-rounded education, not just on the football field? Yeah, I think that that's very much the Manchester United approach anyway. I guess that this has reinforced our original belief, but perhaps it's made us adopt some different techniques and use some different methods of learning that I think potentially may stay with us. So we've had to embrace technology in a different way. We've run virtual sessions. We've had online discussion groups. We've had virtual training sessions. We've done webinars, question and answers online. Um, Some staff have had to embrace technology that perhaps they've not used before. So I do think that there will be a a legacy here, which is a positive one. There'll be certain techniques that we've had to uh, employ that will will stick with us and and will will remain even when life returns to normal, however normal (laughs) the world may be beyond all of this. How do you and the Academy at Manchester United measure success? I guess um, it's twofold. Uh, certainly the the most obvious measurement of success is can we help young people to make debuts and go on to have careers as successful footballers and I would suggest that there's a an organisational demand for us to try and produce talented players that can go and be part of a, a winning Manchester United first team to make sure that we are successful, to make sure that we are in keeping with our traditions, to make sure that we are uh, that we have a team with young homegrown players in that we can be proud of, because that's always been the way at Manchester United. However, I'm a firm believer that if you make that your sole focus, you actually will fail. Because there's only a small number of the young people that we work with that are actually going to go on the journey to debut at Manchester United. A few more will go on to debut at other clubs and to have successful careers in other clubs. And, you know, statistically, we are up there as the most successful at helping boys to have careers, make debuts, play in the various divisions. And we celebrate that. You know, it's for us, uh, it was well publicised earlier this season, wasn't it, that we hit that magical figure of 4,000 consecutive games with a homegrown player in the squad dating back 82 years. So we know that we're good at that. We, we're we proud of it. It's something that fans demand. It's something that the directors want to see happen. It's something that the manager firmly believes in. 
and that's wonderful. However, there is a higher existence, isn't there? There's a there's a, a greater victory than just producing talent, and that is to ha- help every player maximise their potential. And we don't know what each player's potential is when we sign them. We think they have high potential, otherwise we wouldn't be signing them. But we need to make sure that we've taken players on a journey whereby we've helped them to reach their full potential, no matter what that means for them in terms of a football career. We need to make sure that they're in love with the game and that they continue to have a lifelong participation in sport because it's an amazing part of social development and it's an amazing part of staying fit and healthy. More importantly than that, we need to make sure that our academy and the programme that we deliver is an amazing addition to childhood years so that young people's lives are enriched for being associated with us so that they can reflect on their time with us and consider that we were a positive influence on their life regardless of whether they became a footballer or not so that they look back and think, I am glad that I had the opportunity to be associated with Manchester United because I met people that I never could have met I had experiences that I never could have had I went to places I never could have gone to and I developed as a person now that personal development again if we can develop well-rounded people robust people people that have a variety of experiences that actually props up the goal of trying to help people become footballers the more robust you are as a person the more chance you've got of becoming a footballer but it also makes sure that we are turning out good people the journey that our players go on is a positive one, regardless of the football outcome. Uh, and I have always had my own personal mantra that kind of predates my arrival at Manchester United, but the journey is more important than the destination. We must be taking people on a journey that enriches their life, that is designed to try and help them maximise their football potential, but has the amazing kind of byproduct of developing them as a wonderful person and giving them an amazing springboard and giving them a head start in life that might take them beyond someone who wasn't necessarily involved in a in, a, in the program um, and you know United has traditionally and classically always been about developing good people and my own personal beliefs as well and I think that that's widely accepted in our organisation that there is a higher existence than just churning out footballers in a sterile fashion this is about more than just football You say that it's obviously part of the Manchester United culture. How do you keep that culture going? Obviously, Eric Harrison, the famous youth coach, isn't there anymore. And, you know, how do you kind of continue that legacy without some of the previous youth coaches that used to be there? It's really important that we make sure that we understand that we are just guardians of a culture and the culture from... or or a culture that has been built over many years. So everyone who works at United understands the influence of the Munich disaster, but not just the disaster, but the 10 years that followed that, that saw United rise again from adversity with youth at the the heart of a plan to get back to European football and become a European uh, giant again. Everyone really understands that we are the guardians of a culture that was created by... Samat and Jimmy Murphy. And so it's really important that we leave room in our environment to make sure that we continue 
to embrace the knowledge that we have in some amazing long-standing members of staff. So yes, we want to innovate. We want to move forward. We want to progress. We want to be leading. Manchester United has always been the first to do things. It's always been innovative. It's always been uh, cutting edge. We want to continue to do that, but we must keep that nice tension between where are we trying to get to and where have we come from? So at United, yes, there's some high-profile staff that have been in the organisation and moved on, but they will have passed their legacy on to the next person and that person passes it on to the person that succeeds them. So we are blessed at this moment in time to have the likes of Tony Whelan and Dave Bushell in our organisation, Eamon Mulvey in our organisation. They're people that have been with us for over 20 years working with young people but had picked up kind of the, the Manchester United way of working from whether it had been... Brian Kidd or whether it had been from actually working firsthand with uh, some of those people that I met, mentioned earlier and that you mentioned earlier as well uh, and that's absolutely paramount and then it will be our job to pass it on to the next people the same happens with our players we want our players we had a lovely conversation the other week with um, Nicky Butt and Brian Robson Nicky Butt broke into the team as Brian Robson was ending his career Brian Robson was Nicky Butt's hero Brian Robson looked after Nicky Butt and they made sure that as he broke into the team, he was there for him, that he had his back. But then it was Nicky's job to pass that on to the next generation. And that generation passes it on to the next group of people as well. And Nicky is a, is a huge influence on the culture that we have at United as well. You know, for everything that he's been through for a, a local Manchester lad that had been at the club or associated with the club from the age of 12. Um, to have achieved all the things that he has achieved. He's another one of those voices that is reminding us of where we've come from, and the right way to do stuff. And it seems like Marcus Rashford is kind of trying to take on that mantle and then pay it forward to some of the young academy players coming up. Obviously, we know you know, his relationship with Mason Greenwood, and we see kind of McTominay you know, trying to bring on some of the younger uh, academy players as well, like Brandon Williams from this season as well. Absolutely. That is a real strength of the program and has been for many years, is that... When you have a large number of young players debuting, they drag the next one along with them. So they, they do that by, number one, inspiring them. Hey, you're just like me and I've seen what you've achieved, which means I could achieve it too. It's a nice reminder, isn't it, that you're not a superhero. You're just a normal person who's achieved something extraordinary. I can do the same. So that's that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that the person that gets there first makes sure they educate the next one around, hey, this is this is how we do things around here. So you're absolutely right. Marcus is, you know, he's been wonderful in recent weeks, hasn't he? A wonderful ambassador for the club and for the academy and the way he's conducted himself in the public eye during a really challenging time. He is led by example in all the things he's done for our club and for our community. And that will be trickling down to, I don't know, Mason Greenwood, but Mason has some mates in the system who are that he may have been training with a couple of years ago who are still only 14 or 15. So it'll be his job to pass the messages on to those young people. And so it continues. And that's always been the way and will continue to be the way. And uh, as I say, that's, that's not something I've created. That's something that's been built over 82 years of guardians, making sure that they instill the, the messages and the, and the cultures that are synonymous with Manchester United. I want to talk a little bit about your career. Before you got to United, you spent roughly four years at Sheffield United, and then before that, 12 years at Watford. How do those academies compare to Manchester United? 
Yeah, really interesting question. Some unbelievable comparisons. And I don't think that's any surprise because I think there's some core ingredients of youth development and working with young people that are non-negotiable and they are replicated across those three clubs, but then couldn't be more different. If I think about the similarities, all three of those clubs have a history of developing young players, had a commitment from the top to developing young players and young people, you know, at board level, a passion and an interest. And they were, all three of them, very humble but nurturing and what's the word I'm looking for here they are they were all organizations of integrity and that were organizations that um, recruited staff with values that replicated their own values of being honest having integrity being humble etc so there's some similarities the difference is unbelievable so Manchester United uh, is a juggernaut biggest club in the world it's huge you don't know what that looks like until you get inside it there is additional pressure because there's a spotlight on you from the media, but not just local media, the world's media. That also brings resource, so disposable resource, an amazing history and tradition of developing young people, so an added pressure of, okay, how do we make sure that we keep this thing going? A wonderful place to be. Watford, Sheffield United, no money whatsoever. Watford in administration. But knowing that developing young players was going to be a route to make sure that we had a sustainable organisation. But again, a really family orientated club, uh, a nurturing club. All of them, we had great success and all of them have taken a slightly different approach to trying to achieve the same goal. So uh, Watford was the first full-time model in the country in terms of a secondary school education that allowed us to develop players on a full-time basis between the age of 12 to 16, but also had amazing commitment to opportunity and a, a business plan that said, we will give kids debuts. Uh, Sheffield United, we went with the old mantra of it being the world's greatest boys club and we tried to completely have a part-time model where we were just evenings and weekends and we made that feel like a really wholesome youth club and then Manchester United is a, a wonderful combination of of some of those things but add into that an amazing tradition and history uh, of developing young people and an absolute dedication and commitment to pastoral care not saying that the other clubs didn't do that but Manchester United's signature is we look after people and we make sure that we look after the person and their pastoral care exceeds all others. You mentioned when you were at Watford, the club almost went into administration. So obviously you didn't have many resources and Sheffield United is not a club that's you know overflowing with money. What did working at two clubs with limited resources show you when going to United? It taught me everything. It taught me that without resource you become incredibly innovative and creative and sometimes you create things that you never would have created had you had resource so actually now i'm working at a club with plenty of resource it's so important that we try and approach it on the basis that we haven't got resource does that make sense <laughs> so um if you want a humble environment for your players it can't be decadent if you want a tight culture and clear communication you can't have loads and loads of staff. 
So actually now I've got, I spent most of my career with no resource wishing I had it. And now we've got loads of resource. I look back and go, actually, we've got to create a world where it feels like we don't have resource. So you want to keep people humble. You want to keep it simple. You want to keep it pure. You want to make it feel as if you've got no resource. Having said that, there is an advantage to having resource because it opens up opportunities and development opportunities for your players that you wouldn't necessarily be able to create without money. Yeah, so at the beginning at Watford, there was huge pressure to produce players. The lack of resource meant that it increased opportunity. I'm a believer that opportunity is in the top ingredients you need to develop young people. The opportunity to play in the first team was heightened because we didn't have resource. Uh, We were on the verge of administration. Every department was cut back, including the first team, whilst the academy still received full investment. And we found really creative ways to try and help people reach their full potential. I want to talk a little bit about scouting. What is your approach to scouting youth players? For example, you know, when do you start scouting young players and how do you go about doing it? So obviously as a, an academy, we have age groups from under nines upwards and there's an element of some pre-academy work before the age of nine to prepare a group of boys that are going to join us at nine and we're looking to try and create the the best group of high potential young people that we possibly can at that age group and then you're pretty much guided by regulation but we have a commitment to homegrown players first and foremost so we're looking for we're looking for talent in our local areas because we want to give local people the opportunity to access our program and our club so that will always be the priority but then at the end of the journey or towards the end of the academy journey, we want to get this lovely mix and amalgamation of the best local talent with some of the best talent from outside of either our country or from outside of our region. And that is pretty much how the best United First teams and the best United Youth teams have been created over the years. A foundation of local talent that understands the club, understands what the club means to its supporters, understands the local community, gets the culture, gets the traditions and really has Manchester United running through their veins regardless of whether they're a fan or not. They're in love with the club. They're in love with what it means to to the local area and they understand the history. And then you bring in players from outside who bring something new to the party because they've maybe experienced a different upbringing with a different training techniques or a different attitude towards um, the way the game should be played. And they kind of bring some innovation, but then the local boys bring the education around how we do things around here. Um, and that is, uh, for example, the way that Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs would have worked with the likes of Eric Cantona. Hey, Eric, this is what this club's all about. But by the way, Eric, show us what you know, because we want to follow you in terms of your commitment to training, your extra training sessions, the way that you dedicate yourself to to your career and your profession and that's so that's what we're trying to create we're, we're trying to work to make sure that we've got local talent complemented by some of the best talent from outside of the region and outside of the the country um, and obviously driven by the rules and regulations as to where that might be at any given moment in time and there will be an impact coming from brexit at some point as to whether european players can join us or not so we're we're intrigued and interested to see how how that unfolds 
Are you concerned about that Brexit element? As you just mentioned, you sign a lot of players from abroad at the age of 16. I mean, you signed from Monaco, Hannibal Medjbury for around 5 million euros uh, not too long ago. Is, is that a concern you have? We have to constantly evolve and adapt. And a regulation change or, or a change in governance just means you have to be creative, be thinking one step ahead. Um, the club you know, has experts that are working on the strategies for how we continue to be a, a really successful organisation. So it, it doesn't come as a concern. It just means we'll have to adapt and, and change the way we work to find the best way of achieving our goals. Uh, we've never ever signed huge numbers of foreign players. I'm a big believer and I think the club has always been this way that um, you want good players but if you bring too many good players you then actually create yourself a problem to provide opportunity for those players. No point signing boys if you can't get them on a pitch regularly, if you can't give them loads of training minutes, loads of attention. Remember I talked about this individual approach. You flood yourself with lots of players. You can't have an individual approach. You can't give each player the dedication and, and time that they deserve. So we like to work with small numbers We'll be very specific about the players that we bring to us in terms of what position do they play? What does the succession plan for that player look like towards the first team? We don't want to block our own pathways by having lopsided squads with too many people in one particular position. And always remembering that we're not trying to produce a team here. This isn't about having a winning youth team. A winning youth team is a lovely byproduct of brilliant development. We want our kids to be competitive. We want them to experience winning. Yes, everyone enjoys winning. But the number one goal is to help individuals to develop. So we're not trying to assemble a squad or a team. We're trying to work with individuals and make sure that those individuals have got a clearly mapped out plan and that we can cater for their needs when they arrive. So, you know, it's not as if there was a, a flood of foreign players coming to Manchester United and the tap's going to be turned off. There was a very bespoke kind of considered approach to recruiting boys from outside of our catchment area. We will continue to do that. We will just have to adapt the way that we do it. You said that the foundation of the academy is the local players, and you're in one of the most competitive local areas or catchment areas in the country and Greater Manchester and you know nearby Liverpool. How do you compete with some of the top teams in the area like Manchester City and Liverpool for young talent? Well, that's you make a good point there. The Northwest some of the most wonderful clubs in the world, isn't there? Um, some iconic clubs. So it is a com competitive area for trying to recruit young players. Uh, what do we do? We make sure that we remain true to ourselves at all times. We try to make sure that we do things our way and we want to attract people and families to us who love the way that we do things. We don't want to adapt to be like other people just to try and entice people to us. We want to be ourselves, we want to celebrate who we are, our unique differences. We like to consider our programme very different from other people's. Not saying there's a right or a wrong way, there is no right or wrong, there's just your own preferred method. We think our preferred method is slightly different from other people's. We like to share what we do. If people want to be part of it, we're delighted. If people choose not to be part of it, well, that's okay as well because that's the first step of the recruitment process, isn't it? If we want you to come to, if we're inviting you to come to a humble, grounded program where there's a focus on development as a person. Yes, there's a focus on challenging you as a player and helping you be the best player that you can. But it's going to be a really 
honest and, and, and grounded experience. If you're not up for that, then that's fine. We, we, we'll move on to players that are desperate to be desperate to be part of, of that type of environment. And it isn't for everybody, and we're cool with that. We understand that it isn't for everybody. What do you think about kind of the race to the bottom as a lot of clubs are competing to scout and recruit, you know, six, seven-year-olds and people of that really young age range? It's a really, really important question. I think the first thing I want to say is this, is that, yeah, clubs are working with five, six, seven-year-olds. I don't for a second think there's an element of bad practice going on. I think that these young people are taking part in amazing football experiences with wonderfully skilled coaches who are qualified and experienced. And these experiences are and can be wonderful for young people. I just think that we also have to be aware of the unintended consequences. So we put these programs on with good intent, but there are some unintended consequences. There's a trade-off. If I do something that's really good over here, is there a spin-off over there that I haven't quite thought about? So you're Can you be a little bit more specific? Yeah, absolutely. So a seven-year-old can turn up to a professional football club, have an amazing coaching session, have an amazing experience. But while he's doing that, he may be not spending time playing with his mates or playing for a grassroots junior team. So you've got to weigh up and each club will have to make their own decision. Okay, what's the trade-off here? What is best for a young person? What is best for their development? If I if I give you this, but it removes that, where do I? And some people may say, well, actually, I think that the professional football club environment is better. Other clubs may say, oh, no, they, maybe these boys still need a bit of time at that young age to be with their grassroots team and their mates. Or maybe it's a subtle combination of the two. That's what I mean by trade-off. Does that go into the detail that you... you... Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think that's a pretty tangible example that people can understand. Yeah. So you, no one's doing anything wrong, but you, you've got to think of the, the yin and the yang. So I do this, what do I get? But what do I lose? And there is an element of we cannot, no matter how kind of carefully we design these programs for young people and how many skilled folk we get as a trade-off which is i'm being assessed my first experience may well be of being released from a program at a very young age from the club i love so we've got to weigh up is that the experience we want these young people to have early on or not it's and it's a you know it's a very fine line between what is right and wrong there is no right and wrong and it will be different for every single person by the way some people will be involved in these programs and sail through um, unaffected others might have an experience that actually with hindsight they wish they hadn't had i talked about it being very individual uh, you've got to think about what it means for for each person so do you think that there should be a minimum age limit you know, the Premier League is now going to be regulating pre-academy football for the first time next season. There won't be a minimum age which players can train with clubs, but it means that clubs will be allowed to coach kids of any age from the U7s. So I think it's important to give a little bit of context before I answer that one. It has been for a very long while the rule that a boy can't register with a with an academy side until the third Saturday in May of his under eight season. So he's signing just before he starts as an under nine. That's always been the case. And actually to coach kids younger than that has never really been uh, legislated or even the done thing. But every club has decided to do it. So there was no rules, there was no regulations. And actually, arguably, I mean, every club in the country is doing this. Arguably, the clubs were 
potentially doing something they shouldn't have been doing. But it's been happening for so long that it became commonplace. It became adopted as actually we're all doing it. So it, it it's widely accepted as, as it just being okay. The Premier League, as the governing body for academies, decided, well, look, if everyone's doing this, it would be silly of us for, to pretend it's not happening. Let's try and put an element of regulation around the work that's being done. Um, to make sure that best practice is being observed, to make sure that people are qualified, to make sure that we are considering at a very basic level that um, we are considering safe environments, that we are taking appropriate safeguarding measures, that these sessions are appropriately staffed, etc, etc, etc. And I think that's a really good thing. Now, part of that debate is should we have a minimum age? There is a minimum age on when you can start playing games. So I don't think that a boy can represent an academy until he's under eight season or he's under seven season. But in terms of training, it was deemed, well, let's not go with a bottom end because every club will have their own opinion on what the youngest age is to start coaching. And actually, I think it's fair to say that the regulation that we're about to put in place is the first draft. And we'll run with it and see how it goes and it will be reviewed. And it may be at some point the minimum age is, is discussed again. Um, but actually to, to get something off the ground for the new season, a minimum age may well have been a little bit difficult to police. Because there's a number of initiatives out there and, you know, community programmes, grassroots programmes, school outreach work. OK, wh- where does the governance begin and end? So it, it all got a bit confusing. So no minimum age. Listen, my, my personal feeling is... Not, I, I'm not just talking around this particular current debate about under sevens, under eights, under six, under five. In general, I have a feeling that you don't want to specialise too soon and you don't want to professionalise too soon. And actually, in the best interest of the long term development of a young person, you're better off holding back, holding off wherever you can. That's what we try and do at United. Not everybody has the same opinion, not everybody has the same approach. And that's cool, by the way, because as I've said before, there's no right or wrong. But but at United, okay, we want to try and hold off. We don't want to get too professional because we think you get very professional at a young age, these kids are going to burn out. The journey's a long one. You get too professional at a young age, maybe the joy and the love of the game is diminished. And we don't want that because we know, I said earlier, didn't I? We know that one of our markers of success is a lifelong participation in the sport that we're in love with. And we don't ever want to do anything that might jeopardise that. So yeah, holding off, I think, is important. Allowing boys to be... I like to think of it that the academy is part of an ecosystem and kids at a young age should bounce around the various bits of their own ecosystem. Their mates, their school, other sports, different levels of football, grassroots football, county football, school football, coming to the academy. The academy may bring about some real tough competition and best with best play, but then can kids actually experience being as free as they would be with their mates while they're with us? Probably not. So do we need to leave space in their week for them to be with their mates and be free? Do we need to think about not ramping it up so fast because there's a pressure on the family, there's a pressure on the boy to be with you too much? So we like to go slow and steady. We like to chill out. We like to kind of make it childlike. We like the experiences that the boys have with us to be childlike, appropriate, authentic childhood experiences. We like them to be engaging in things that are age appropriate. What did you make of Bayern Munich's decision to get rid of their U9 and U10 teams to kind of go in the opposite direction of what we were just kind of talking about with a lot of British teams? I think it's a really interesting decision and it'll be 
Uh, fascinating to see how that works out in the long run. I wonder if it might be a trend that becomes a little bit more common. Um, we've certainly seen it in other sports. I'm aware in uh, US soccer, in rugby, a lot of uh, Scandinavian countries in all sports, but in particular football, are starting to consider making sure that their talent pathways engage with players and performers of a, a slightly older age. Um, there's certainly some evidence and research that would support that as a notion. I think it's fair to say that our ability to identify talent accurately diminishes somewhat uh, the younger a player is. Um, there's some quite significant research by Gulick that looks across a variety of sports across the world and really draws the conclusion that junior success is not really an accurate indicator of long-term potential. And when performers present themselves at a young age as, as being full of high potential, actually what we're seeing are the results of early practice, early maturation and maybe some physical advantages rather than, than long-term potential. The other thing to consider is an element of survivorship bias. So we can take a retrospective view at our approach to recruitment, celebrate the young players that went all the way through the system from nine through to the first team, because it will happen and quite rightly, we, we should celebrate that. But we celebrate that and erase maybe the number of journeys that weren't successful. Um, and it reinforces our original approach to, to talent identification at such a young age. My belief is as long as you design your program with the understanding that it's very difficult to accurately identify talent at a young age, you won't go too far wrong. So creating a program that by all means has a, a football focus and that we're looking to maximise football potential and we are going to try and coach and, and teach young people to become better footballers. But in addition to that, you need to make sure your programme remains childlike, full of joy and has a, a wider purpose than just a football focus. So developing other skills, socialisation, physical health, all of those things. Um, I think that's the probably the most responsible approach to take once you remind yourself that identifying talent at such a young age is, is particularly difficult. You've talked about how difficult it is to evaluate talent and nurture talent to become a professional. What's your approach to kids that don't make it and youth players that don't go pro? So I get asked that question all the time and everybody wants to know, what's your exit strategy? What player care have you got in place for, for the boys that, that leave your program or don't quite make it? And I absolutely believe that uh, you have to have a really robust exit strategy, i.e. you've got to be able to support players out of your program in the best way that you possibly can. However, if that is your sole method of supporting um, people that are leaving your program, you're too late to the party. The point at which you should be considering what it's like to leave your club is the day a boy arrives at your club. So making sure that when a boy joins you, you're really clear about why they're embarking on the journey. This is a development journey. We're going to try and help you reach your full potential. And we've seen some things that lead us to believe that at this moment in time, you have the potential to be a good footballer but we don't really know where that takes you and we're not promising you that you're going to be a professional but we want to help you try and be the best footballer you can possibly be and by the way there'll be a load of other stuff that we do and that we engage in that we think you're going to love so you're going to have those type of honest 
conversations. And then as the boys are on the journey with you, just being realistic all the time about where they're at, what they can expect, not getting too bogged down in always thinking about the future. Let's try and be present. Let's enjoy the here and now. Let's think about what's happening today that's wonderful that other kids your age aren't experiencing. And keep reassuring parents that that this is not the be all and end all becoming a professional footballer. Reaching your full potential is true success. There's an amazing quote, isn't there, by... um, by John Wooden, the basketball coach, that said, I will not be able to nail it um, word for word, but something along the lines that true success is peace of mind, that you know you did everything you could to reach your full potential. Whether you become a footballer or not, did you reach your full potential? It's possible to, to make a debut and not reach your full potential. It's possible to not make a debut, but have reached your full potential. So you that's true success. So it's about the messaging throughout the journey. And it's about the care that you give the boys through the journey. It's about the experiences that you give the boys through the journey. But it's also about how you design your programme. So if I design a programme that sees boys removed from their local community and they never get to see any of their mates and they never get to play school football and they are solely in, maybe I take them out of education, put them into our school and maybe they don't spend quite so much time with their family and maybe they, they make such a commitment to the club that they lose some identity of their own or their identity becomes one of I am a young footballer. The point at which you release them they're going to find it really, really hard because of your programme design. So it's so important to design a programme that manages expectations as well. Again, I go back to that concept of stepping stones, layering things on one piece at a time and not asking too much too soon because there has to be an acceptance that none of us know. No one knows, you know. It, survivorship of bias is so prevalent in academies, isn't it? We look back and go, yeah, we knew he was the one that was going to get there. That's why we signed him at such and such an age. But actually, no one really knows. No one really quite understands where young players are going to get to in the long term. And we have to be really honest about that. And I think we've designed a system in this country that kind of gives the impression that we know. We've got this covered. We know. We know which are the best players at which age groups and come with us and join these various kind of different programmes that give you more and more time with us and be rest assured that we know where we're heading here. Well, actually, we don't know. We just don't know. And anyone who claims to know for sure probably is ill-informed. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking my call and taking the time to talk with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website, trainingground.guru or on Twitter at ground underscore guru.